Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. $200 million. That's how much daily fantasy sports firm DraftKings is in the process of raising. This after receiving $300 million from Fox Sports, the Kraft family, and other enterprises. Data from Seattle-based venture capital research firm PitchBook shows the upcoming funding round will put DraftKings at an estimated $2 billion valuation. And this valuation is an incredibly impressive marker for a company and industry that's been under fire as of late, with its future up in the air as the FBI, NCAA, and others scrutinize its business. $36 million, the loss reportedly suffered by the NHL's Florida Panthers last season, the team's worst year ever. The loss is expected to decline to $24 million this season. Attendance on the road to improvement, and the Panthers have averaged close to 15,000 fans in their first three home games, a significant boost from last season's average a tad over 11,000. The small fan spike will not resolve the team's massive financial problem, but it's a step in the right direction. Oh, my gosh. And the focus on sports metrics now coming to golf. The PGA Tour just signed a three-year deal with Microsoft that will create an advanced tier of golf analytics to be used across all of the tour's broadcast outlets and digital devices. The new tech platform will incorporate the tour's video library and shot-link statistical data, creating a new bag of relevant stats. The deal makes Microsoft the official operating system, analytics partner, and office productivity software partner of the PGA and Champions Tours. The new product should be up and running during the first quarter of 2016. While the Microsoft partnership will generate substantial revenue for the PGA Tour, look for new technological experiments and innovations to benefit golf in the years to come. And now, what it takes to attract sporting events. We talk with outgoing Indianapolis Mayor Greg Ballard, who's finishing up his second term. Obviously, leaders in sports take many forms. Some run leagues, some run teams, some score points, some run college programs, and some are visionary public-private partnership creators as elected officials. And frankly, we have one of the best, if not the best, the mayor of Indianapolis, Greg Ballard, co-chair of the U.S. Conference of Mayors Sports Advisory Committee as well, and one of the people who have made Indianapolis a great place to live, but also a great place to, to do sports. How's that for an intro? That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all accurate, my friend, and I have an a, a honor to count Greg Ballard a, 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 as one of one of my friends going forward to a lot of different contexts, um, mayor of Indianapolis. Kind of first, tell us a little bit of the of the history of uh, of Indianapolis as a first the amateur sports capital of the world, but now kind of kind of a go to sports destination. Um, how it's become that and how it got that way. Yeah, it really, is, uh, it was purposeful. It was. It didn't just happen. Uh, there were some uh, people 30, 40 years ago that put together a sports strategy, which included going after big events. It included the formation of the first ever uh, sports corporation uh, in the country, which really organized a lot and brought people together. 
Uh, it, wanted, it wanted national governing bodies. It, it, it really was an entire strategy. It wanted to go into the universities and make sure the universities were engaged. So it kind of grew up from there. So, uh, first really big event, uh, people talk about the Pan Am Games in 87, but we had the National Sports Festival when they used to do that sort of thing back in 1982. So 82 and then 87 Pan Am Games, and then it just kind of grew from there. We ended the rotation for Final Fours. Uh, lots of the uh, Olympic uh, trials, events, track and field, swimming, that sort of thing, and we could we had these diving trials coming up. Just got done with USA Gymnastics Championship a few weeks ago, so we're able to get all these big events, obviously, into the city. And then that led to then it kind of morphed into into pro sports events, also. So and, and uh, big college NCAA events. NCAA is here, also they moved from Kansas City. So it really was a strategy that, that really grew up. Uh, from a long time ago, and it seems to be very successful now. And now uh, we're at the point where we're almost seen as the as the place in the nation where we're almost turnkey. Uh, I talk about where the Super Bowl was a tremendous event. I think they did a really good job with that. But in that same kind of time frame, the Big Ten football championship began, and they came to us and said, will you do this first year? Because we know you'll be able to do that, and then we'll bid out years two through five. But they came to us because they knew we would be able to put that on really, really well. And that, I think that speaks really well to uh, to how we operate as a city, how we all come together with the sport corp and the, and the, uh, and the business world and the nonprofit world all working together. Greg Ballard, Mayor of Indianapolis. Uh, it, it's an interesting perspective to treat sports as an economic development strategy and engine, most people, I think, probably have no trouble uh, looking at inter-competition city for, uh, between cities for an auto manufacturing plant or a, a high-tech internet headquarters and see that as part of an overall strategy. But to bring amateur sports and then professional sports to a community with the resultant economic impact to it required some considerable vision in the initial sale, didn't it? I, I think it did, and you know, back in the days when people were calling this Naptown and Indian No Place and all those things, uh, you know, the, it did not sit well with a lot of people here in Indianapolis, and, uh, as, you, as you all know, Rick, I was in the Marine Corps during a lot of that time frame, but I certainly know the history of all this and saw it grow up uh, as, as it all went forward, and it, it was actually a devised strategy meant to increase the economic development of Indianapolis, and it certainly has done that. We have about 70,000 people in the hospitality sector in central Indiana alone. I mean, that's an amazing number. Um, so we've done really well in that regard. Uh, it's the organization, it's the people, all of that comes together, and it really does drive huge, huge numbers in our city uh, on a consistent basis to where, to where people just believe that if you look to Indianapolis as a model, for how to do these things, and that, that just brings in the events, and it keeps our people employed, keeps the taxes flowing, and uh, keeps our downtown bustling. All of that continues, continues to play to this day. Can you factor in or give us any kind of estimate, and I know you're not an uh, economic uh, uh, analyst, but do you, uh, you play one in front of city council, and you certainly are an advocate of all of this. Uh, the Super Bowl was a one-time thing, but on an annual, regular basis, the stuff that you bring in, how much, as a rough estimate, does it contribute to the central Indiana economy? Well, including the sports, I mean, I can give you the overall tourism numbers, which is well over $3 billion, probably pushing $4 billion at this point in time. And, and 
when you go back 40 years ago, we simply didn't have a convention business. And there was only one thing that we hung our hat on, and then that, and that was sports. And then that led to the development of, of further uh, conventions. So I can't put a number just on uh, the sports by itself, but I can put a number on how, this is, how sports has driven the convention business to such a point now where we have to continue to expand our convention center, which, by the way, is connected uh, to Lucas Oil Stadium purposefully again. Um, so we, we kind of combine those two, uh, those two areas, the, the non-sports convention and the sports convention business, uh, into one pile, and it comes up pretty close to four billion. Pretty significant number. Uh, here is a uh, um, a animal reproduction lesson. Is it the chicken? Is it the egg? Was it Eli Lilly that then helped lure other events that then helped lure the festival, that helped lure the cults, that then generated RCA Dome, Hoosier, Hoosier Dome, and then the Super Bowl, and then Lucas Oil. What comes first, or is it all simultaneous, generally? I, 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 the Lily Endowment was unbelievable and continues to be unbelievable to, to this day because they just paid $10 million again to the refurbishment of the natatorium where we're going to have the Olympic diving trials. All that said, I think you have to build the infrastructure, uh, whether that is the physical infrastructure or the people infrastructure. And, and if, unless you have the infrastructure, nothing else is going to is going to happen. And I, I think they they did that in a very smart manner. They did it in a, such a way that they wanted it all connected up. That's why when you come to Indianapolis, you see that almost every venue is right downtown, and you can kind of park your car downtown or take a take a bus downtown or however you get here, and then you're kind of you can just walk everywhere. To all these different sporting events uh, and all the all the restaurants and everything, every place that you need to go, that was that was designed that way. And I, I really believe that without the infrastructure, both people and the physical part of it all, um, you're really not going to attract much effort, much of anything coming into your city. Segway a little more nationally. What's the most unique message that Indianapolis and your sports corp and the structure and history and success? can teach the rest of the country about building facilities, attracting events, attracting franchises? Make sure that your entire community is engaged. We have, a, we have a philosophy around here that every event that comes in, we have to do something bigger than the game. Certainly the Super Bowl Legacy Project uh, was special to us, and I, I know cities kind of have legacy projects around Super Bowl, but what was different about ours was ours was done by the time the Super Bowl began. Most of the legacy projects actually begin when the Super Bowl game is, uh, is played. Uh, and in the fire force come in, we always have people going out into different neighborhoods and, and helping with things. I mean, that is just part of what every event is uh, to us. And we try to help out people around Indianapolis while these sporting events are going on because we just don't want it to be about everybody coming downtown and spending their money. They want, we really want it to be a community event. We want everybody to be engaged and to understand why we're doing this in Indianapolis and how much it means to us as a city. So if you get everybody engaged in some way, somehow, they feel a piece of it, uh, a little skin in the game, then, then really, um, it's, it's a lot easier to bring everybody along. Cynics are pretty um, historical in their own way. They point to the Beijing overruns. They point to arenas and stadiums that haven't been used based on promises. Uh, they point to the history of failed bids in some places. But what would you say to people... Uh, the Olympic uh, 2024 LA folks, uh, folks that are looking for public-private partnerships to build their facilities, folks that are bidding on special events. Uh, what do you say to those who say you shouldn't be spending public money in any of this? 
Well, if you decide what you want to be doing, uh, really, what is the end game? What is the purpose of this? Is it just to host the game? Is it to build up your city better? Is it is it to bring people together? I mean, are you trying to make money on it afterwards? Focus on what you're really trying to do, and then go from there. I think Indianapolis has been very good about not overextending uh, efforts, and so that when we build, uh, when we build structures, when we bring in events, we want to make sure that everything is in place uh, in a marketing aspect, in an infrastructure aspect, everything that's involved with this, that the city will benefit afterwards, and the people of the city will benefit afterwards. I think that's been very important. That's the gymnastics championship was just here. They broke all their records for sales and, and, and gross revenue while they were here, and that was, that was the result of a lot of people's efforts uh, in, in different areas. We, we wanted to do that for the USA Gymnastics so that they would see us as a, as a place to come back to on a routine basis. Uh, and so that is, you just have to know what you're really trying to do. And if you're just building it to say, hey, look at me, uh, we, we put on this event, I'm suggesting that may not, uh, may not work in the long run. Uh, we've, we've, done, we've done things like on the Canadian games, and we've built lots of events, lots of, uh, I'm sorry, lots of structures. They're all in use today. It's been, so that has been a, a real bonus for the city. They're not just sitting out there somewhere. There was a purpose for those uh, facilities once the Canadian games was done, and I think that's what we do with everything around here. And I'm hoping that most people, I know the Olympics is a little bit different than animal, and you have to have certain certain structures, but I would I would plan to make sure that whatever that space is afterwards that uh, there's a use for it. Sage advice. Let's talk about the platform for dispensing that advice. U.S. Conference of Mayors, uh, a sports group of of mayors who have jurisdiction over the um, or cities with major league sports franchises in their communities, and you chair that group. Tell all the Reuters audiences, everybody else. We've talked about it before with uh, Reuters guys as well, it's a big message to talk about. Um, tell us a little bit more about this committee, this group, and why it's so special. Well, it was, uh, it was important uh, to me, and I think it was important to a lot of other mayors. Maybe I was able to see it a little bit differently because the teams have their, you know, they have the league, the players have their union, and but the cities really didn't have much. They weren't talking to each other, and, and so... On some level, we could be out-leveraged, and we wanted to make sure that uh, there was at least some common knowledge, some some organization that the, the leagues and the players could go to and at least talk to. We wanted to make sure that we had some sort of database uh, for all of the cities and the teams and, and the and the stadiums, so that we could see, okay, now what what is actually happening out there? What is uh, you know my team wants me to do this? What have what have other cities done for other teams? I think that was important, and we do have that database now. And the uh, Conference of Mayors and NYU has been uh, very special in that regard to make sure that uh, that we have that database. And uh, the good point also is that, uh, as you well know, because you've been a big part of this, is that the leagues now have somebody to come in and talk to, and they can at least come in and, and explain to the mayors uh, what their expansion plans are, or, or the unions can come in and say, hey, this is how we feel about this particular issue. And we've been able to do that, and I think that's been beneficial to a lot of folks, uh, to a lot of mayors across the across the country, it really is just a it's a common it's a, a, a group of mayors who need the common understanding of pro sports as opposed to just you know here's here's my city, here's Philadelphia over here, here's Kansas City over here, here's Indianapolis over here, 
and we're all doing our own thing separately. We, I think we need to have some, some better understanding together of where we work. And the better understanding together theme is a really good one that you brought out over the last uh, period of time in your, in your chairmanship. You may want to comment on it, that it's uh, gone are the days where uh, people will sit around a, a committee structure like this and talk about war stories uh, of, 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 of stealing, uh, taking uh, their neighbor's uh, franchise and making it their own. What you've done is to try to create a best practices database and uh, effectively a trade association for public sector officials in all co contexts in sports should be commended, but uh, th that's where this is going, right? Well, I hope so. I, I hope it can, continues as, as, uh, as strong as it possibly can because I, I do think it's important that uh, mayors or municipalities on some level understand where each league is going and, and what is expected And because you can see some of this uh, into the future if you just if you can look and, and see what, uh, you know, what the leagues are saying or what the unions are saying. And so I think it's incumbent on cities to kind of get ahead of that, and I think our group is able to do that and put those best practices into place ahead of time, and not in a contentious manner, not in a, a manner that uh, causes friction, but really trying to work together to make sure that everybody does it. It, it has, as you know, <laughs> had some uh, odd meetings in there at times, and uh, cities are, frankly, are competing over a franchise. Uh, but you know that's just the nature of the beast at, at the moment, and uh, we want to. But we want to make sure that when cities do talk to the league, do talk to the teams, that they know what has gone on in the past and what is expected. Final, final, final question for you. I know it's a traditional habit of mayors to do little friendly wagers before respective games. I suspect the way the Colts are playing these days, it might be very expensive for you, especially with, uh, uh, for example, with um, uh, Mayor Landro of uh, New Orleans last week and. And uh, I, I suspect you're keeping your hands in your pocket a little bit during the season, correct? <laughs> well, the good thing is most of those bets, those wagers, are only during playoff times. So we don't really do them on that game. So Colts are struggling a little bit right now, and so we'll have to, we'll have to see. There's a lot of talent on, on that team. Uh, we'll have to see how it all plays out. You know, the AFC South, as you well know, is not, uh, not really a strong conference at the moment. My, my, my friend Greg Ballard, keeping his hands in his pockets until the playoffs, unless they turn it around, probably a really good idea. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. The producer of the show is Alex Cohen. Audio producer, Adam Wieson. Technical assistance provided by Jamie Weber, Tanner Simpkins, and Carlos Waddick. The executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Colarusso.